everyone, and uh, thanks for joining us. This is episode four of the Better Products podcast, and I'm really excited about this podcast because we decided to try something a little bit different. Uh, we have an employee of, of TapeCon, a longstanding employee, um, Dave Shoemaker, joining us. And I'll just give I'll give a quick title intro for Dave, and then uh, Dave, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself on your own and tell us about yourself. But uh, Dave Shoemaker, senior manufacturing and R&D engineer at TapeCon, uh, he's been with us for a long time capital L or all capitals on the long, uh, long. So Dave, I'll let you say, say the big number, but, uh, thanks for being on the podcast, Dave, and trying something new because up to this point, you know, I've been interviewing uh, some suppliers of our raw materials. And I think this is going to be an interesting, um, episode because it's going to bring a little bit more, I'd say internal perspective, um, from TapeCon. So I'll, I'll let you, I'll, I'll stop talking and just Dave, tell us about yourself and, um, your role at TapeCon. You know, and thank you, Steve. But um, one one fun thing that I, I look at is um, every time I look out the front window, uh, I was actually born right across the on is right now, and that was in 1960. So I I'm a long founding member of the area. So that's kind of a, a fun thing to play with. Anyways, it was uh, 1983 when I started for TapeCon. We had uh, I believe it was 17 employees at the time. And uh, my capabilities that I brought here was die cutting. And I worked in the die cutting department for about three years. But I always had a strong passion for all the capabilities that TapeCon had. And they had a lot, even at that time. And um, I think your father saw this passion within me. And before too long, I found myself dabbling in all the capabilities TapeCon had to offer. And as I learned, I became the go-to guy for new opportunities. Um, I, I often find myself at a crossroads of the customer or prospect's needs and TapeCon's capabilities. It's my job to figure out how to combine suppliers, materials, and TapeCon manufacturing processes to achieve the desired outcome. You know, you've been with us for such a long time, and, and you've seen the evolution kind of through the organization of all the different capabilities coming in and out. But, yep. you know, when that, when that new opportunity uh, comes in from a brand owner, it's like, okay, um, that initial kind of review of it. I mean, we can't say yes to everything. I mean, sometimes things come in right. here and they're just yeah. not a fit, you know what I mean? And yeah. so sometimes, you know, I, I kind of joke, sometimes we have a yes problem at TapeCon where we always say yes to a lot of things and we probably don't say no enough, but, but that whole crossroads of like, when do we decide to pursue it when we don't decide to pursue it? So I wanted to just kind of like frame this conversation and introduce uh, the concept of manufacturing readiness levels or technology readiness levels, however you, there's a couple different ways to think of it, but that concept has been brought to me um, really, it, you know, doing research on it, of course, it started back in 2005, Department of Defense brought this in, but where it, where I started getting exposed to TRL, MRL like levels was some of our engagement with some of the startup community or some of the universities have started to use uh, reference to manufacturing readiness levels. Uh, I'll say how to how to place the level of maturity of an opportunity in a continuum in saying like, okay, um, what do they need? What stage are they in? And we started to use this terminology in our company. And I know that you've started to use the terminology too, or at least it's a way to communicate internally and or um, with, the, with the opportunity coming at us on where to place them. So I just wanted to kind of frame that. And so given that concept of manufacturing readiness level terminology and the fact that you're really like, I'll say the front lines of the technical feasibility side 
of the opportunities and whether we say yes. Um, how do you, I guess, how do, how do you assess those opportunities when they come in the door? Well, the, the best way is just sitting down and having that conversation. I mean, I like when, you know, the salespeople will set up a, a, a meeting to where the customer actually comes here, sees their facility, and then they have an actual either a sample with them or they have some blueprints or something that they, a discussion point, if you will. Um, and, you know, it, it's really great to get into all the details that I have, you know, identifying what they're looking for with regards to materials, um, how this is going to be uh, uh, manufactured, what the possibility of maybe even packaging. We have some to where we have to get packaging involved as well. We use outsourcing partners to do that, but, you know, we still get it done. We, we you know, we have uh, that competency and that availability to uh, meet all their needs. So, yes, I like bringing the customer in here and um, actually having that sit down upfront conversation with them. Virtually now we have to do it, you know, virtually, un unfortunately, with this epidemic. But um, in the past, I mean, it was good to have that face to face, that handshake, you know, of acceptance on all the things that we've done. You know, I got to mention that you do lose a lot of the detailed stuff that you can show a customer, you know, of how, how things go through the press or how, how this will happen. And they really get a better understanding when they're there firsthand actually able to see it. And you're right. Sometimes you can't capture that virtually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but we're getting through it. Well, it's going to be interesting where the technology goes. I mean, because it's going to yeah. accelerate, you know, the use of whatever, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, like, hey, I'm going to walk you virtually over here. Let's <laughs> take a look how your process is going to run. I mean, who knows? I mean, we're obviously exploring a lot of those types of technologies right now. And all yeah. I can think of is that this pandemic just going to accelerate them. So I'll move on to the next question, because obviously I know there's a lot we want to get to. But um, when you talk about or when I, when I talked about the continuum, like it can be really early, really late in that MRL uh, readiness levels. How early are you? Have you seen people approach us, and how early in that manufacturing readiness level have people come to us? Well, I would have to say very early because um, I remember one project. I think it was right around 2004. Uh, it was a wa actual walking off the street. Um, it was um, uh, a gentleman looking for a. Uh, a company that could guide him along. He had two plastic housings that he was trying to connect and they had to be connected in a sterilized environment, but he didn't want to use a, a, sterile, a sterile room to do it. He wanted the, uh, the part to be self sterile, uh, to be contained um, in a sterile environment. And it was kind of challenging to listen to it. So he was searching for a company that can help him advance this, his readiness, his product readiness level. Um, he was, like I said, he was looking for us to connect these two plastic housings, but still keep that sterilization of the contact points uh, in check. Um, this construction was um, used for a medical fluid transfer device. And it was kind of kind of unique to the industry. Uh, I had never seen anything like it. And um, before too long, we had the conversation and uh, we talked about the material choices that were available for him. And we talked about what the functionality was. And as he was talking to him, drawing pictures and all this stuff. And uh, before too long, we had a proof uh, that readiness level. And uh, granted, he 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 was very. Um, overwhelmed by these uh, prototypes and um, he decided to move forward with us 
And uh, we worked through all the uh, technology and materials. Um, and I'm very happy to say that, you know, this is a product that we are making quite a few products uh, on a monthly basis every day. We're making this product still today, I mean. Yeah, when I was looking at like this, the manufacturing readiness levels, you know, an MRL4 is like that lab, laboratory environment proof of concept prototype. But then when you get up to an MRL5, we're into more like a production relevant of a component of that material. And if you're telling me, I'm just listening to you tell the story, it sounds like it's like a napkin sketch on a piece of paper. That's exactly where this what thing it was. started. <laughs> Which uh, obviously it seems like I would put that, at, you know, almost MRL3 into MRL4 because we haven't even made anything yet other than just it's almost a conceptual idea at that point. But I mean, he, well, he must have at least had he must have conceptualized what that proof of concept should consist of. And then from there, um, it sounds like we just kind of, I don't know, in a, in, a, in a lab scale, either cutting with scissors on raw materials or whatever, be able to manifest itself into that initial proof of concept prototype. How, how crude no, was it? No, actually what he had, he had the actual plastic fittings that he was trying to connect. And he said that how, what he wanted to end up with, how it was packaged, it was shrink wrapped around the housing. And he wanted these things, these two connections or these two plastic housings to be already connected together with just the ports that come out uh, that connect the hose to it. Because again, it's for fluid transfer. But the points of contact had to be kept in check with being sterile at all times. So we developed, and I can't talk about the process in details, but we developed a method that was able to encompass that. And he he called it after I sent him the sample. He says, "You, um, what did you say? You made the first portable clean room. Thank you very much." <laughs> he was like, "Let's move on." He says, "I'm not going anywhere else. Let's let's get this going." And he got so, pretty excited over it. And uh, like I said, um, this just evolved, and we finally made it. He took it to market, and. Um, you know, like I said, we're still making a lot of product today. So let's talk about, I guess, the persona of the of that, I'll say, inventor, for lack of a better term, who's who's approaching us in their mm -hmm. early stage in this readiness level, and and the individual that's coming in, you know, are they're going to have a big wide array of experiences and backgrounds. I mean, we've had people approach us for projects that are, you know, straight out of either in university or straight out of university with very little work experience in the real world. And therefore, you know, that, that's what they bring. And other people, you know, been in the industry or been in manufacturing 20, 30 years and they kind of, they're much more prepared. So how do you, um, I guess, tailor the approach that you take when you take that initial phone call? So our sales team has identified this. We've evaluated this as an opportunity worth pursuing. You're usually tapped on the shoulder when, it's time to kind of look into technical feasibility of it. But how do you tailor your approach based on, I guess, who's in front of you and what their level of experience is? Well, it's usually, you know, the, the customer is um, usually the one that I'm talking to, but it really depends on who the customer is and what, what um, resources they have. Because many times I like to talk to the, you know, if, it, if they have a engineering team that's helping them develop this, I like talking directly to the person that's going to be building this for them because then we get greater details on, you know, what it's going to take to to end up with a good result. And, um, you know, that that brings me back to another project that I was working on where it was a um, some college graduates that came to us uh, looking for they they developed this chemistry 
that they were trying to get it out on the market. And it, what, it, what it was used for is if you can get it onto a material, it would identify when uh, sun worshipers needed to reapply suntan lotion. And he, they seen a need for it and they did a lot of research. In fact, they won uh, numerous awards out of Canada and the US for this invention of this chemistry. The only problem that they struggled with was how do they make it work? How do they put it on a material? How do they apply it to a person's body so that it can, when sun hits it, it says, hey, I need to, you need to change your, or need to add some suntan lotion. And so they came to TapeCon with us to, with that challenge. And, you know, we, we talked them through it and we, you know, found out what this chemistry was all made up of. And we used partnerships with other companies that had coding capabilities of putting this uh, uh, chemistry onto a piece of material. Well, there was more to it than that. They wanted an advertisement of their, you know, their product name and, and different uh, media on this stuff. So we were not only able to um, uh, make this product so that it was um, feasible to put different names on it. If he wanted to promote some other technology, some suntan lotion company, he could sell that right off uh, to use that pro to use their product to these companies. So we developed a, a, a process that was able to not only have that uh, substance coded on the material, but then we were able to convert it into a easy to use peel and stick onto skin. And they use it now for, and they're using it throughout the world. Uh, I hear, you know, uh, he tells me different countries that he's uh, applying this to and selling it to, and it's uh, virtually throughout the world. So uh, kudos to them on doing a great job with developing this chemistry. And uh, we are just able to help in their, you know, their manufacturing process. I want to unpack, I guess, the flow of information. Like you're, you're describing, you know, you're telling the story and I'm thinking about, what type of information is presented, you know, that they're coming with, presenting you with? And sometimes that information, I'm sure, is incomplete or there's the wrong questions are being asked. So what type of information exchange is happening between you and a company like this in the early onset of these of these projects? And I guess what can you glean? What, what can you glean from that or what are you providing them to help them along the way if they need help? Well, actually, you know, I'm looking for, you know, as I said, I, we sit down and we have that face-to-face -face conversation. That's all it is, just like we're having right now. And they're telling me about the details of, you know, what they're looking for. Um, are they wanting this product to last outside? What their environmental conditions may be? Um, are there any regulatory issues that we need to be concerned about? Uh, um, there's there's a multitude of different things. We have stuff that goes on cars. I mean, it, you, you name an industry and we're in it. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of difficult to list every every type of situation, but. Because there's so many different questions to ask, but I mean, how, how many people are coming you know, with blueprints, without blueprints? What, what would be the ideal thing for someone to come with us? You know, we've talked about detailed design packages and what does that constitute? But I guess in a perfect world, what are they, what are they bringing um, to that initial meeting and that face-to-face -face meeting? Well, what we hope to see is uh, blueprints or any conceptual sample that they have. 
Um, and it could be just a crude scissor cut out on paper type thing, just so that we can get a better understanding of what they're looking for and what the end product's going to, what they're trying to achieve with that. Um, and yes, we have, you know, over the years, we have developed an application capture form that, you know, it, it, it has intentional questions on it that helps us determine the, uh, what the customer needs and where their technology and manufacturing levels are. Um, so, it, it, it's there, there's more to it than just that list. I mean, it depends on what stage they're going through. I mean, just like you know, some customers come through it, come to us where there's it's it's a development stage. Like I said about the suntan lotion guy, um, the group came to us, and um, you know, we needed to provide provide them with training. Uh, the pros and cons of different materials, different adhesives, how, what, what works on skin, what can peel off without affecting the, uh, a young person's skin versus an older person's skin versus a child or a baby's skin. And we needed to train them and teach them on that. And, um, you know, they needed to fully understand and we needed to fully understand their expectations. You know, like I said, what environment is it going to be exposed to? You know, heat plays a lot and that UV plays a lot on materials and can really affect the uh, quality and the performance of it. So, you know, we need to teach them, you know, um, you know, what what actually is going to happen once they give us this order? We brought them in here and actually went through step by step what our manufacturing process was going to be. And that's why I said it's great to have the customer actually in here because then you can get into a lot more details of where, when, and how these things are going to happen. Um, that's, you know, like I said, that's only during the development stage. But then you get into, there's different stages, you know, such as the introduction stage. Uh, introduction stage. Um, the customer might have a product that's already developed, but they just don't understand how to build it. Um, and they need to um, uh, find a facility that can show them or either guide them through, um, you know, either manufacturing themselves or maybe even using other vendors to, you know, do a team approach on manufacturing their, their, their products. Then, you know, you get into the further developed ones where you have the growth stage. And that's where we really shine, I think, uh, because uh, this is where they're looking for volume requirements. They want someone that can provide, you know, a lot of product in a certain amount of time and get it done and get it on the shelf. And um, that's where they come to us and, we, you know, we develop that partnership with them. And, um, you know, it works out very well. Um, then later on in the in their growth stage, they get into a more mature area where um, a lot of times they're just looking for, okay, we need to save money, we need to cut down costs, and uh, we look for ways and methods of doing that. Uh, but we go beyond that a lot of times. Sometimes they're looking for a, a, another solution or, or maybe they need a branding idea that will help set their product apart from others and make people look at theirs in a different light, you know. Um, they might even be, you know, looking for, and I've seen it happen, to where uh, they want someone to manage their overall process, their overall product, because they need to focus on looking at new products or maybe new or upgrading their, their current product and, and to develop new opportunities. And, um, you know, that's where we like guiding them is to help, help grow with the customer. We want, we want to become part of the customer's team. Yeah, it's like as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking about from a product manager standpoint. So the people that we're serving, you know, every product that's being sold has a life cycle. Like you're, 
you're in a life cycle. You're launching it for the first time. I'd love to major, I, by the way, I'd love to wave a wand and have every opportunity to come in be in a growth phase. That'd be nice, right? Because <laughs> all of our problems yeah. are like, how do we scale this up and, and sell uh, sell massive quantities of these things? But then there's growth, then there's maturity, and then you know maybe they have to retire a project or, or retire yep. and, and replace it. So I guess listening to you talk, I'm just thinking about how you 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 kind of have a radar on what stage that product's in, which then might change, I guess how you how you treat it, right? Questions might change, different oh, questions, correct. right? So it's kind of like adapting to what stage the life cycle or what what stage of the product life cycles in uh, might depend on might change the various types of questions that we're asking or handle it differently, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of people seem to be looking for cost downs. Can you speak more, I guess, to that cost reduction opportunity where if someone's coming in, maybe we've been either we've been making it, maybe a competitor's making it, and for whatever reason they found their way to our doorstep. How do you? Um, yeah, I'd like to hear more about that in terms of cost downs. Seem to be everyone wants to cut costs. So how to how do we approach those types of opportunities that come in where it's a? I'll say I, I'd say it's a mature product if I'm going to put it in a life cycle. It's mature, and they want to milk as much margin out of that product. No no future plans for any major redesign of the product. But let's just improve margin. That's the business objective. So let's talk about uh, cost reduction. How do we handle those situations? Well, in many cases, we have to look at the overall product. Um, is there is there any room for, or is it conceivable to make changes to, let's say, materials? Um, in a lot of cases, um, many things are sometimes, and I, I I don't know if I should say this, but they're overbuilt. Um, you get a group of engineers together that overbuild something. They put a dimension and tolerance behind things that are <laughs> uh, not only uh, really odd and unconceivable, but it just doesn't really work for that product. And, you know, we'll have a conversation with the customer about those topics and about those issues, looking for ways to cut costs. Um, there might be, you know, dyes that are related. Can we go with a less expensive, uh, as, and I'll talk out solid, a solid dye versus a, 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 mag, a, a mag tool, which is a thin, thin plate that we use. That's a that's a big cost savings right there if we can change that that aspect of the manufacturing process. But we also, like I said, we look into different materials, we look at volume structures. Are they, you know, willing to and are they capable of uh, taking a larger volume and putting it on shelves for future use? Because, you know, everything is based on materials. Uh, materials have a cost to them and as well as customers have to get from us, we have to buy from our suppliers the minimum buys on materials. And that's where we, you know, we have to buy what they call master rolls and whatever the case may be. Uh, but there's volumes that we have to uphold to. And, uh, you know, we have to have it come out of our pocket. We have to purchase these materials. So in essence, we have to pass that cost on in order to make money and keep and keep everybody profitable. The brand owner can be their own worst enemy. It's like everyone wants to over, you know, the default of any engineer is is, is conservatism, especially if the risks that they face is, is a product is a you know they're the ones who have to deal with the defect or whatever and i understand that people want repeatability and they want to reduce variation and 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 everyone wants would love you know really tight and or i should say really high number uh process capability numbers and cpk numbers but how do you have that conversation where where um you know the the tolerances they could become their own worst enemy and so what what can we share what's that dialogue like to try to open up a tolerance well, we ask them, you know, where is this actually being used? And the discussion point gets into, you know, how critical are those, you know, 
for this application, a lot of times they're just putting a label on it as a, um, uh, they're putting their name on the product to, to, to claim fame to owning this, pro this product. And they'll have a, you know, they might have a textured area, but then they have a smooth area that's recessed in and they want that to fit that label or that part to fit down into that recessed area. And they'll give us a tolerance of plus or minus five thousandths. It's like, are you kidding me? You, when you put it on there, you can't see those edges of that recessed area. It could be a sixteenth off, and you'd no one, a regular consumer would never see the the difference. However, you know we hold much tighter tolerances than that. Um, our tolerances, our baseline tolerances, you know ten thousands, we hold all day long. That's without batting an eye. Um, we do hold much tighter uh, tolerances than that, but um, you know it, it it all depends on the application, where these things are going, how they're going to be, what the performance of them need to be, and um, you know what's the end product going to look like and how it's going to perform. Yeah, it's like any one of these, all these considerations, we could head down rabbit holes discussing the oh. details of every single one of them and spend four hours talking about this. Yeah. But um, so I'll try to, I'll try to get this into somewhat of a wrap up. But I mean, I think, I think obviously just the, ex the exploration of these new opportunities that come in and um, all the considerations or questions that we're asking, placing them in a maturity level, and then I guess giving our audience kind of a perspective, our perspective in terms of being the manufacturer where um, the, what we're thinking about as those are coming through the door. So any final uh, parting words, Dave, or any um, words of wisdom that you want to impart on the audience as far as the conversation that we've had? Well, you know, you, you, we, we talk about, you know, incoming new customers and you know it's all part of you know taking care of the customers that we do have because it's not it's not a, a a smooth flight once they develop and once we develop a relationship with them and we have a product that we're building it, it, it's not a smooth flight all the time uh in fact one of the customers that we currently have um they came to us with an issue one time where they were having some problems with the uh, the materials that we were supplying them that they called out it wasn't a material that we suggested to them they called out the material that we were using and they were having some shorting issues they, it was an electronic component that it was shielding and the materials that was being used they found out through testing on their behalf um, that it was a shorting issue of, and it was something that I never heard of or never thought that it could even do this, but outgassing of the of the material was causing this short. And I was like, I was intrigued because I this is a new thing for me, which I learn every day in this job. This is awesome to have something like this. But, and Steve, I'm telling you, uh, we, we've did probably 30, 40 different samples of these different materials that they brought in, and every one of them failed. Well, before too long, they said, they reached out and they said, hey, TapeCon, you're, and I hear this all the time, you guys are the experts, you can make, you can make something stick to water, you know, tell us how. And um, so they reached out to us and asked us if uh, we could help them uh, find the material. Well, after uh, many trials or after many uh, conversations that we've had with vendors and uh, communication with the customer and testing, uh, we finally found a solution for them, and I'm happy to say that our manufacturing for, uh, services are now far on Mars. It's, <laughs> I find that just amazing. Um, you know, to, to talk to somebody about the different applications that we get into. I remember when I first started here, um, I remember telling people, yeah, we make bumper stickers that you go in and it's like bumper stickers now. Are you kidding me? 
we make stuff that's going out in space and on different planets. Um, this is like a whole new concept, the whole revelation of different things coming to and making TapeCon available to. That was, yeah. it's unbelievable. I just got to say that, you know, it's been a real uh, treat to um, start out where TapeCon started and seeing the growth potential that, or the growth that actually happened that incurred during my time here. And it's just been overwhelming. To be on, to be honest with you, uh, it's been a, a great experience. Um, I've learned a ton of things and still am learning, even though I've been here for 37 years. I'll walk out on the floor after this meeting and I'll learn something new today. It's it's that it's that's what fi I find so exciting about this job and this and this place. That's awesome, Dave. I appreciate you sharing that because you know you've uh, you've been in the role for a while and you've seen a lot of different things. But obviously, just listening to you talk, you got the energy coming out. Like I'm fired up just listen just listening to you talk. So. I I appreciate you sharing all that and uh thanks for being on the podcast i mean it was uh pretty you know wasn't really sure where it was going to go but i'm glad we had a chance to talk about a whole bunch of different things and um so i guess um i guess we'll wrap it up here so thanks again dave for all being right, on the podcast and for everyone listening i hope you enjoyed it and uh, stay tuned for the next one so uh that's it signing off thanks everyone hey th thank you take care